Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for June 29th, 2018. On today's episode, we'll talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Y Trend Bowie. Hey, everyone. Okay, guys, uh, plans are finally coming into place for Comic-Con, our, our, our visit to Comic-Con. Ichi, you're not going to be there this year, maybe next year. Yes. Uh, but Brad and I uh, have solidified that we're going to be there along with Jacob Hall, the managing editor slash film, and uh, Chris Evangelista. Uh, it will be his first time. So we'll have a good mix of vets and newbies. Um, and we'll, we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come as we start to learn more about Comic-Con. But let's dive into the news and let's start off with um, – let's start off with Cobra Kai, which is a sh- – honestly – Right now, as of the middle of the year, is probably the the best piece of visual media I have seen in the first six months of 2018. That includes TV or movies. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, and joining the series in season two is uh, is going to be John Kreese, who is basically the bad guy, the, the big bad who taught Johnny Lawrence in the Karate Kid movies. And uh, we now have some glimpses as to what John Kreese's role might be in Cobra Kai HD. You wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Well, first I wanted to ask how many times have you watched Cobra Kai by now, Peter? Um, <laughs> I think it's only like three times to be fair. I rewatched it, uh, because, uh, Kitra was away when I watched it the first time and I, I wanted her to see it. And I, I've also rewatched it, uh, Brad style where I have it playing in the background while I'm, you know, cleaning up and doing other things. But uh, I've gotten so many friends to watch the show that wouldn't. I, I feel like so many people have been resistant, kind of like uh, in the Ben state of things, where, like, they don't mm-hmm. want to get involved because it's another service they got to subscribe to. And uh, every one of them has, like, thanked me for making them watch the show. So, uh, HD, when are you, you going to watch it is the question. Uh, if fans weren't interested in seeing Co- Cobra Kai yet, they might be interested now with the new piece of news coming out um, uh, that 
Martin Cove will be a series regular for Cobra Kai season two. Martin Cove played the big bad John Kreese, like you said, Peter, and uh, he starred in the original Karate Kid as well as part two and three. And um, he, we might see a different side to him uh, once Cobra Kai season two uh, rolls around because he's always played that big bad kind of the domineering figure uh, behind all the other Cobra Kai baddies in the Karate Kid. But now, um, Co- Martin Cove teases a more vulnerable side uh, to John Kreese. So he says um, in an interview with Sci-Fi Wire, quote, Everybody gets used to seeing John Kreese and thinking death and Lucifer and all of that. But how interesting it would be if he has another side to him that is equally as effective, a vulnerable side that maybe might just turn as dangerous. So he might still be sort of antagonistic, but as we saw in Cobra Kai, Johnny Lawrence became a more sympathetic, almost heroic figure. So it might we might see something like that with uh, John Kreese. Yeah, it's interesting because in that original Karate Kid movie, and even in the sequels, uh, the character of John Kreese is very one-note bad guy. I mean, he's good at that. Uh, I think a lot of uh, fans of those uh, films love him for that. Uh, but it would be interesting to see if uh, we could, if they could do for him what they did to Johnny Lawrence in the first season of Cobra Kai. Uh, I think it's actually interesting that. Um, I know you guys have not seen the first season of Cobra Kai, but I think it's not a spoiler to say that the first season treats both Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence as protagonists. And both of them have bad and good to them, but there isn't really a bad guy in in, in the show. And um, I'm wondering if the series is going to head to a point where they are going to actually end up Instead of fighting each other, which the show is kind of teasing along, almost like a romantic comedy of sorts, um, <laughs> uh, will they, won't they? Uh, I wonder if they're going to eventually have to team up to fight John Kreese in like you know season three of Cobra Kai. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but uh, th- this is a- another reason to tell you guys to go watch this. I think the first two episodes are on YouTube for free, so if you watch those two episodes and are not sold by the end of those two episodes, then don't get YouTube Premium. But um, but I-, I think it's worth it just to skip the commercials on YouTube alone. But let's move on from uh, from the Karate Kid universe to actually no. Before we move on, Brad, I know you have not watched the series yet. Uh, is Having John Kreese in the show, does that make you more likely to watch it or do you just not care? No, I mean, I think that that's very cool that they're, you know, digging deep into, you know, the Karate Kid and bringing him back as well. And, you know, it might help. It it could create conflict as, you know, if Johnny Lawrence is, uh, you know, kind of, you know, this bully who's become, you know, the hero in a way of this this series, then John Kreese might serve as temptation for him to you know, turn a little bit against the the new face that he's showing and maybe go back to, like, the old, more malicious Cobra Kai way. So I, I think that could be interesting. But, of course, I, I don't have a full frame of reference since I haven't watched the first season of Cobra Kai yet. But it's, um, yeah, I, I think that that has the potential to be very interesting for season two. And I, I, I want to get around to watching the first season sooner or later. I just haven't had time to dig into it yet. Yeah, well, when, when you're over here st- spending a night before we go to Comic-Con, I'm going to strap you to a chair and put you in front of the TV and make you watch it. That seems unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Marvel. Uh, you know, there's a lot of news going on right now because Kevin Feige is doing promotion for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And uh, he has confirmed that the Doctor Strange sequel is actually happening. Brad, what do we know? 
So obviously a lot of Marvel's plans post-Avengers 4 are being kept under tight wraps. Uh, Anthony and Joe Russo have even gone so far as to try and misdirect fans into thinking that certain sequels may or may not be set before the events of Avengers Infinity War. They've tried to convince fans that there's a chance Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will take place before then, so the deaths of most of uh, the team aren't really, you know, up in the air. Um, and so it's it's difficult for Marvel to be able to, like, announce whether sequels are happening. But, of course, we already know there's a sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming on the way called Spider-Man Far From Home. There's very likely a Black Panther sequel on the way because the first movie was so successful, Marvel and Disney would be dumb not to have a sequel with that character and now it seems dr strange who is um one of the only marvel characters to not have a sequel just yet uh will be getting a sequel as well despite the fact that his character's fate seemed seemed to be sealed at the end of avengers infinity war um so in an interview with cinema blend kevin feige was asked about the possibility of dr strange 2 happening and Kevin Feige really didn't tap dance at all, pretty much because he knows that there's really no way to hide it. But he said, Doctor Strange, you know, whenever we, we do another Strange, which we will do, it'll be a number of years from the first Strange. And yet he's a very big part of Avengers Infinity War. So it is just a good problem to have when you have too, too many beloved characters that people want to see more of, while keeping to our core belief that we need to keep exploring nuance and keep doing different types of things. So that's his quick, uh, quick confirmation that Doctor Strange 2 is definitely happening. Um, and so it would stand to reason again, you know, this is something that will happen after Avengers four. So he'll likely survive those events, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll have to see exactly what Dr. Strange two will hold in store, uh, for that character. Once uh, the events of Avengers four come into more clear focus. Um, we do already have some kind of hint as what Dr. Strange two might entail since the credit scene did feature Chiwetel EG four. Uh, coming back and basically deciding that there are too many sorcerers in the world and it seemed like he was going to do something about it. Yeah, and you know it should be noted that these Marvel films, these sequels, usually come uh, three years apart. So Doctor Strange came out in 2016. So I, I think we could expect a Doctor Strange sequel in either uh, 2019, 2020, uh, which is in the coming year. So that's that seems just about right to be one of the films to follow Avengers 4. But let's uh, move on from that to another Marvel Studio story. There, there have been rumors going on uh, the last few weeks. And these aren't just like uh, Star Wars uh, angry uh, butt hurt Star Wars fanboys spreading these rumors. These rumors are reported by uh, reputable sources, like you know uh, the Ankler newsletter, which is this inside uh, industry newsletter. Deadline Hollywood um, has reported on this. Um, so there's been some quite some big outlets, and also you know I've gotten phone calls from my sources around Hollywood. I've gotten probably five or six phone calls over the last couple weeks telling me that they heard that Kathleen Kennedy was going to uh, be replaced at Lucasfilm with Kevin Feige, uh, that the story was Disney was unhappy with how Kathleen Kennedy has handled the Star Wars standalone films. As you know, there's been many problems and it's cost Disney, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in extra reshoots. Um, and uh, the, the rumor is that, the, you know, they were going to bring Marvel head Kevin Feige, who is, you know, pers the person who has kind of... Uh, 
orchestrated the idea of a cinematic universe into Star Wars to kind of execute that plan over there. I know Kevin Feige is a huge Star Wars fan. I've I've had many conversations over the years with him about geeking out over Star Wars. You know, I, I I've talked to him when he's had you know Star Wars shoes and socks on to give you an idea of how big of a Star Wars nerd he is. Uh, so when I sat down with him to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp before I got into my interview, I asked him point blank. I was like, is there anything to any of these rumors? Could you be involved into the future of uh, the Star Wars universe? And, uh, you know, this is a long way of debunking things because Feige basically said, no, only in my backyard with my action figures, he joked. Um, so, as of right now, it seems like the rumors are untrue. That's not to say that Kathleen Kennedy won't step down at some point. Uh, you know, there was rumors that she might step down in September to semi-retire. And uh, we don't know if that's true. I've heard it's not. Um, but uh, I'm kind of glad that this doesn't seem to be happening because it might vindicate some of those uh, malicious Star Wars fanboys out there, <laughs> if, if, if it did. Um, HT, do you, do you have any thoughts on this? Like, if if they were going to replace Kathleen Kennedy, not that they are, but would Kevin Feige have been the guy to go to? Hmm. I mean, it's hard to say just because it feels like so close to speculation. Uh, but I feel like, yeah, maybe Feige would have been like Disney's probably second best choice just because you know he shepherded the marvel universe to this huge giant that has impacted so many other studios and i can see them thinking of him as kind of like the next safe bet um and like keeping in the family too i think that's something that disney likes to do so um uh yeah i mean like it makes sense but i don't think it would have been a good idea just because uh, no matter like the tumult going on behind the scenes at Lucasfilm, I think Kathleen Kennedy is doing a really great job bringing like good quality Star Wars films to the to the big screen. For sure, and I, I'm I'm also honestly not sure Disney would want to lose Kevin Feige at Marvel. Do you know what I mean? Like right. that yeah. makes so much money for them. Not that Star Wars isn't, but. Who would want to be responsible for the idea of making that decision and possibly, you know, messing things up? <laughs> um, but uh, let's move on to Greta Gerwig, who, uh, you know, directed one of my favorite films of last year. Uh, I am excited for anything she is going to do. I want to see any movie she's going to make. Oh, wait, she's making Little Women? <laughs> hey, don't hate on Little Woman, Peter. Hey, I, I okay. I've never read the book, but I've seen. I want to say I've probably seen three film adaptations of Little Women, and it, I don't know. Maybe it's just not for me. I, I maybe I'm not, not the target demographic uh, for Little Women. But it to me, before we get you, you tell us what we know. It kind of disappoints me that, um, not that she's doing a film adaptation of something that I don't care about, that's fine, because I want to see someone make me care about it. It's, I guess I'm disappointed that, you know, there's been like dozens of Little Women adaptations. I, I wish she was doing something more original. Right. Yeah. It's There's been like a million. There's even two Little Women animes, by the way, which I find hilarious. <laughs> but um, Greta Gorig is currently, uh, apparently, 
being wooed by TriStar Pictures to direct Little Woman after her you know, big splashy solo directorial debut with Lady Bird, which won her a bunch of accolades and um, is making her like one of the hottest new directors in uh, Hollywood. And a lot, a lot of people were sort of hoping or expecting Greta Gerwig to do another original film. But I think Little Woman is actually a good bet for her just because at its heart it's a coming of age film and it will also possibly re- reunite her with her Ladyburg stars Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet who are currently uh, circling the roles of for Saoirse Ronan Joe March who was the protagonist and the strong-headed sort of feminist writer of the book and uh, Chalamet would play um, Laurie, Laurie who is a uh, the, who was played by Christian Bale in the 94 version was kind of the childhood friend slash dream boot, dreamboat character of the series. And there's a really A-list um, slate of actors who are eyeing the other roles, including Meryl Streep, Emma Stone, and uh, Florence Pugh. So it seems like the cast, uh, if if this were to happen and be in place, would be incredible. incredible. And uh, the combination of that and Greta Gerwig at the helm uh, makes it seem like a really exciting adaptation. Not to mention the fact that this will reportedly be a retelling of the classic novel and not just um, a straight adaptation. So they're vague on what oh, the retelling means. so it could be means. like a modern day kind of adaptation. Yeah. And the, based on the fact that it's a retelling, as they say, and a lot of these actresses and actors are older than the characters are in the um, original novel, I get the feeling that it might be a modern-day remake of the um, Louisa May Alcott book. Hmm. Uh, okay, I got to take this opportunity to to ask you a question, HT, because mm-hmm. I think almost every female I have <laughs> known in my entire life has liked Little Women. Uh, it's kind of like the Phantom of the Opera and Little Women are like the touchstones <laughs> that, like, I don't know why, but it seems like ev- every woman loves those two things. Uh, sell me on Little Women. Why, 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 why should I be excited other than, you know, the people involved here? So Little Woman was one of my favorite books as a kid. I read it, I think the first time in like fourth or fifth grade and it just really appeals to, I think the reason it appeals to so many women is that it's just so specifically about like that female experience, even though it's set in like the civil war era and is basically a time period that we're not familiar with a lot of the struggles and the pain and the grief of coming of age and first love. It's all there. And people really relate to that. Like despite it being a period piece that feels like it would be stuffy, it's actually really heartwarming and universal in the themes that it approaches. And there's just like, the characters are so strong, especially Joe March, who uh, Saoirse Ronan will report to be playing and who's played by Winona Ryder in the popular 1994 film. She's such a great feminist character who is really ahead of her time and definitely someone that people uh, relate to really strongly, especially there's like a scene where she's like, she's a writer. So like at one point, Actually, no, wait, I'm not going to talk about it because if people haven't read or seen any of the Little Women movies, like if, if you're out there, then this might be a spoiler. So yeah. there's there's just uh, so many things that people so intensely relate to these characters. And um, yeah, I think that's why it's like, you know how like this, there's like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and people relate. <laughs> this is a, a weird analogy, but bear with me. People relate to like every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle for like specific reasons because like they echo like a certain part of your personality. You're like, oh, I'm Raphael because I'm, I'm the leader. I think that's what he was. So it's like people relate to the, those characters because like they see themselves in it. And so that's what was great about Little Minute is had all these 
different strong female characters who had like really distinct personalities and you could relate to each one specifically no matter who you are you know hearing you talk just, about just this we don't get a bunch of tweets uh after this <laughs> yeah uh, Leonardo was the leader of the Ninja Turtles. Okay, well, okay, I'm very sorry. Yeah. Raphael was kind of like the uh, he, was, he was a sarcastic, like like hothead part of the turtles. Yeah, right. I think of Raphael as my favorite one. Yeah, but um, uh, hearing you talk about this, you know, I am a big fan of coming of age uh, films, like Sundance films and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, hearing you talk about it, maybe I'm having the realization. Maybe I don't like it because I don't really love a lot of period dramas and maybe mm-hmm. if Greta Gerwig can you know make this a more refreshing modern take on the story maybe I will maybe I will like it maybe I will finally uh, find a love for Little Women um, yeah. but uh, let's move on to documentary films Michael Moore's Donald Trump documentary is coming out in September Brad what do we know so Michael Moore obviously is one of the more controversial filmmakers uh, making documentaries over the years. Uh, he you know rubbed people uh, on the conservative side of the aisle the wrong way with Fahrenheit 9/11. Uh, he of course continued to rub other people the wrong way with Bowling for Columbine, uh, and you know even going back to the times when the Boy. audience. Bowling for, <laughs> Bowling for Columbine, I watched like a few months ago. I think I've said that on this podcast, but that movie, aside from like, you know, the quality of the video at, at some point in time, is just as relevant now as it was when it came out. It's like insane. Okay, go on. Yeah. Sorry. Also, also very depressing. Um, but yeah, and so he, he even, uh, you know, focused on the auto industry when General Motors had shut down a bunch of factories uh, in Flint, Michigan, Michael Moore's hometown. And so he's constantly pointing a camera and shining a light on, you know, the very popular hot topics and headlines of today. So it only stands to reason that Michael Moore is now turning his sights on Donald Trump. And his new documentary is called Fahrenheit 11.9. The numbers obviously flipping the Fahrenheit 9.11 title, but this this being a reference to the the night that Donald Trump was uh, declared president after the election for president in 2016. And so he's not giving away too much about what he's going to focus on in this movie, but the official synopsis uh, reads like this. Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9 is a provocative and comedic look at the times in which we live. It will explore the two most important questions of the Trump era. How the fuck did we get here and how the fuck do we get out? It's the film to see before it's too late. I love that a documentary synopsis uses the F word twice. Yeah, Michael Moore does not shy away from being uh, blunt and honest and um, vulgar when he, yeah. when he needs to be. And so he uh, he appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert last night to make this announcement. And he also played a small clip from the movie where he tries to go into Mar-a-Lago, the quote-unquote Southern White House where Donald Trump likes to spend a lot of his time and tries to uh, meet with Donald Trump much in the same way he tried to meet with the head of General Motors uh, in Michigan in his film Roger and Me. And so it's uh, it's obviously a pretty amusing scene to see Michael Moore just casually walk in there and be like, oh, I'm here to meet with uh, Donald Trump. Apparently he did, wasn't able to stay there for too long. Um, <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> and he also teases uh, a focus on um, Roseanne Barr in some capacity because apparently back in 1998, Michael Moore appeared on the Roseanne Barr show, which was a talk show that Roseanne had back in the late 90s. And Donald Trump was a guest at the same time that he was. And so he tells the story about how 
Uh, I guess Trump congratulated Michael Moore at the time on the success he had with Roger and me. And apparently he said to him, I hope you never do one on me. So <laughs> looks like Trump didn't get his wish. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how this movie turns out and what it focuses on. It comes out September 21st, 2018. Uh, and obviously we'll probably be getting a trailer at some point uh, in the months leading up to that. And I know a lot of people out there like to, you know, dismiss Michael Moore, even liberals. Um, you know, they, he uses some tactics. He's not uh, fair and balanced. By the way, making movies and telling stories, it, it's not your job to be fair and balanced. It's your job to, to, to you know, get people to feel something and to, you know, show your point of view. Uh, but uh, the thing that I think is important here is Michael Moore has made films that um, have changed the conversation you know his his film sicko uh i i think really kick-started the healthcare movement of course we've seen some setbacks uh since trump has come into office on that one it should be also mentioned that michael moore was one of the few people out there when trump was running for office that was going on uh, political talk shows going on you know daily shows and telling everybody that trump was going to win when we all thought it, that was insane and was never going to happen you know he was warning us us that uh, that was in the future so um you know dismiss michael moore all you like uh i you don't have to like the guy to like his films but i, I think in a way he is able to put things in a perspective that makes you think and he is a prophet of of some sort um but let's move on to uh ryan johnson's uh first movie in the new star wars trilogy uh, we didn't have any idea when to expect that. Some people had thought that Ryan Johnson was going to make a little like indie film in between uh, his Last Jedi and that, but it now seems that this movie might be on track to come out in 2020. HC, what do we know? So Ryan Johnson's longtime producing partner, Ram Bergman, who worked on The Last Jedi and has worked on many of his films, including uh, Brick uh, has a few more details about the Ryan Johnson Star Wars trilogy, which we, apart from this supposed date, have very little about. So in an interview with an Israeli website, uh, Bergman said he does not know when exactly the date would, would uh, uh, arrive for the new Star Wars trilogy, but he said maybe in two years. It's just in the early stages. So it seems that Bergman and Johnson are in the process of developing and probably even scripting this film, but uh, it will probably be arriving sooner than we expect. So it seems like Brian Brian Johnson is just diving right into this new trilogy. I mean, that kind of makes sense with J.J. Abrams' movie coming out in December. And, uh, you know, that would probably be the next on the docket for movies that are coming out. Uh, After that, we we really have no idea what the future of Star Wars uh, holds for us. Um, But uh, it it, it is exciting that uh, Disney is giving Ryan Johnson a trilogy to tell a story in the Star Wars universe that isn't going to, you know... Uh, be stuck on characters uh, we know and uh, maybe won't anger fanboys in that sense because, uh, <laughs> you know, he can't uh, you know, decide where Luke is going to go and that will anger people. I guess he'll anger them still in other ways of, of casting strong female characters and, and such. Uh, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, let's move on to Indiana Jones 5. Yesterday on the podcast, we were talking about how John Kasdan had been uh, given, uh, he'd been hired to write the screenplay for Indiana Jones 5. At the time, I mentioned that uh, with the movie coming out, 
in 2020 that he was probably just doing a rewrite uh, after we recorded the podcast that turned out to be not be true. Uh, Brad, what do we know? Yeah, so Indiana Jones 5 is still happening. And it will be coming a little bit later than we anticipated. Originally, uh, it was hoped and thought uh, that the movie would arrive in 2020, but it appears it will not be able to meet that estimated release date. And part of the reason seems to be that the movie is being reworked a little bit uh, because Jonathan Kasdan, the co-writer of Solo, A Star Wars Story, is replacing David Kep as the screenwriter of the movie. Uh, Kep was the one who was previously slated to write Indy 5. He was the writer of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, but he's no longer working on the movie. Instead, Jonathan Kasdan is taking over, and he will. It seems as if he's going to be starting over with this script and not merely doing a polishing of the script that Kep wrote. So, for anybody who didn't like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that's probably good news. That's not to say that David Kep isn't a talented screenwriter. You know, he did uh, write Jurassic Park, uh, and he's very skilled in his own right, but um, for now, it's probably best that. Someone like Jonathan Kazan takes over. But then again, if you don't like Solo, then maybe you're not necessarily happy with this news of him taking over Indiana Jones either. But uh, hopefully, with Steven Spielberg on board and George Lucas seemingly not really involved much in the development of this movie, perhaps something might come together and give us an Indiana Jones adventure worth bringing uh, Harrison Ford back for. And hopefully, this will very much be the last installment of Indiana Jones because as much as I love Indiana Jones and as much as I love gruff, grumpy Harrison Ford, uh, he's getting up there in the years and I'm not sure that he can uh, be punching Nazis as effectively as he gets older. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm not too sure about this because Disney, you know, seemed excited to continue this Indiana, Indiana Jones franchise. Uh, I, I never thought that it was going to be just with Harrison Ford. I thought I, I think the, the prevailing belief that there is that they would reboot it in some way after this or during this. Maybe this would have two timelines introducing an earlier Indiana Jones. Maybe that's why John Kasdan has been brought on here. But maybe that should also worry us because Solo Star Wars story did not do well. So uh, introducing a young Indiana Jones. Uh, might not be the best for this franchise, uh, but we will have to see. And let's uh, let's move on to our last bit of news, and that is that Disney is shutting down its direct-to-video animation studio, Disney Toon. HC, what do we know? So Disney is shutting down Disney Toon Studios, which has been the long-standing animation division behind most of Disney's direct-to-video releases, as well as the Planes franchise. So uh, this is happening uh, in the wake of John Lasseter's departure from Walt Disney Company, although it's reportedly not connected to it just because uh, this has been in the plans for a while. So this is uh, the studio that is located in Glendale and is shutting its doors completely. Um, and uh, any of the the projects that are in development with Disney Toon have also been halted, including an untitled feature about the future of aviation from uh, Planes producers, which was originally slated for March 2019. So um, Disney Toon, if you're not familiar, is uh, behind a lot of the direct-to-video or direct-to-DVD sequels to popular Disney animated films like Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea, or Lion King 1 and a Half, or Lilo and Stitch 2, Stitch has a glitch. Uh, and uh, they had been doing that for mostly for most of their uh, lifetime since it was created in 1988, uh, originally as Disney movie tunes. But after Laster uh, 
took took charge of the studio it started to do more theatrical releases like the planes uh, movies as well as the six film fairies franchise which is revolving around tinkerbell but um it seems like the direct dvd market is starting to falter a little bit especially as streaming services start to take over and there's less money in direct dvd or uh, direct video movies but it, i mean that's a good point but it's weird with disney launching their own streaming service you think that they mm-hmm. want to keep disney tunes around to create content direct to that service uh but i don't know most of the stuff that has been produced by this company has not been very good i mean it's being produced uh the animation is pretty bad it's being produced on a, a very low budget i mean i i know some people that worked over at disney tune studios like they, they are good people so it, it is sad that they are losing their job but uh I, I don't think that they were ever given the you know the budget or the creative uh reign to produce uh good movies they were always being like kind of cornered into these kind of like weird spinoff and sequels that no one really wanted uh he have you seen any of the disney uh, tunes movies oh i've seen all of them (laughs) (laughs) what is your favorite and what is your least favorite uh okay so um best disney sequel lion king 2 because they essentially do like we know the first Lion King is basically uh, Macbeth. They do like like Romeo and Juliet for Lion King too. So it's like it's perfect. Um, and then um, they're actually like some of these director DVD sequels are actually not that bad. Like I own a lot of them on VHS. I think I still have like the Beauty and the Beast Enchanted Christmas one, which is also another really great one. Some of the later ones are pretty bad, but there are some good nuggets of gold in there and um movies like that were not sequels or direct to dvd were like um a goofy movie which was theatrical release so that was a good one as well they have some good ones but for the most part it is kind of strange that they had a whole division just like dedicated to sort of knockoff movies essentially yeah and it's funny because john lasseter kind of revamped this whole studio when he came in he wasn't really a fan of those direct-to-dvd sequels and he kind of made it about uh spinoffs and those tinkerbell films um and neither of those i think turned out to be even as good as the sequels that were on uh you know vhs and dvd in like the the 90s and uh yeah 90s uh anyways that brings us to the end of today's slash film daily Brad, where can people find more of your work online? Always at FlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, and listen to my podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, on iTunes and other places where podcasts exist. HD, where can we find you? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find uh, me on the site, SlashFilm.com, as along with all the stories we've talked about today, which will be linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and have a good weekend. We'll see you on Monday.